Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mojo DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayer. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 104. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Donovan. This is Jerry. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest comic news from November 4th through November 17th, and uh, as well as the comic book reviews from those weeks. Uh, we are actually going to be covering four books this episode, Batman Robin, Batgirl, Detective Comics, and Batman. Uh, Batwing, we are going to cut for the time being, and we'll talk a little bit more about that after uh, Bat Books for Beginners. I do want to apologize for my voice. My uh, throat is completely swollen but uh, the show must go on, as they say, so uh, bear with me as uh, my voice may sound a little different than normal. With that, let's get into comic news. I want information, and I'll get it any way I please. The very first thing we're going to talk about is the solicitations for February. Now, there really wasn't a whole lot of really interesting things that uh, popped up with these solicitations. We're dealing with the fallout of Death of the Family and a lot of the series. Um, and besides, besides that, um, we have Mad Hatter appearing in Batman the Dark Knight, which we already knew about from the last episode. And really, besides that, there's not a whole lot happening. The, uh, conclusion of Death of the Family is happening in Batman, but we also, as I said, are seeing the effects of Death of the Family in, uh, Batgirl, Nightwing, Detective Comics. So there's lots of books that are happening as far as that goes. Um, besides that, the one thing I did want to touch on is we've talked about this before about Tim Drake's new series. I wrote an article up on the website the day that the solicitations came out, and as you all may know, I am a huge supporter of the of a Tim Drake getting in his own series. Um, but the big thing is uh, the solicitations for Team Titan said, the team is finally reunited in the wake of Death of the Family. But something is very wrong with Red Robin. What did the Joker do? So, um, obviously we have no idea what the Joker is going to do. Obviously this is like four months from now. But the interesting thing about this is I'm kind of uh, taking some liberties when I suppose these things. But uh, the fact that we've had Dan DiDio ask fans at Fan Expo, Baltimore Comic Con, and New York Comic Con if Tim Drake should have his own series. And everyone has said yes. I think it's only a matter of time before it actually happens. Um, I don't know whether or not he's going to continue being Team Titans, though, because that's the uh, interesting thing about this. The fact that Death of the Family is taking place in Team Titans and focusing around Tim Drake, and the fact that they're saying something is very wrong with Red Robin, does this mean he could possibly leave the Team Titans? Um, so that's the, the assumption that I'm I'm uh, supposing from, from that solicitation, is maybe Red Robin... Is going to be leaving the Teen Titans for a for an extended amount of time, giving him a reason to have his own series. If Tim does leave the Teen Titans um, and gain his own series, I don't think anybody would say it's a bad thing, unless they're a huge fan of him just being on a team. 
Uh, I certainly would be for it. I would, I would honestly read anything Tim is in. Um, not regardless of the writer, but I did, cause I have so much affection for that character. Although, by this point in time, I would have a lot of trepidation based on the zero issue and everything they've done to the character in the new 52. I'll, I'll kind of go in there, like, you know, with my hands covering my face. But, uh, I would still read it. Just, I, I would definitely get the first issue at, at the very least. And, uh, if DC is, you know, testing the waters for a Tim series, I say go for it. Yeah, I think it's definitely a possibility. Um, I'm not sure why they would take him out of the Teen Titans, though. I mean, I think the fact that this Death in the Family thing is crossing over to the title would mean more sales for the series. And then I would have thought DC would hope that that, you know, boost in sales would carry on, but maybe they feel that, uh, Tim's on those characters that people would question when he's in more than one book at a time in a month. Uh, yeah, I just think there needs to sort of be a purpose with it. And I mean, if, if he's drastically changed from the current character, I'm wondering if, like, could he be a villain now? Could something bad have sort of happened? And, you know, a couple of people commented on the image and that there is just sort of this dichotomy between light and dark on the actual cover. And I jokingly said in all caps, oh, what if he becomes a Clipso? Uh, because that certainly carries through as well. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him if this actually happens as well. Because, I mean, there's been that rumor that Spoiler is going to get a book as well. But I guess Tim is more mainstream and probably easier to to actually push forward. And the, the Steph Brown curse continues. I think if Tim got a series, I, that would slightly increase Steph's... Uh, uh, odds for appearing since she's tied to the character so strongly. I Maybe she wouldn't get her own series, but she could. She could appear. I would agree. I mean, Steph Brown. She originally was in Tim Drake's series more than any other series, and she had a. She was a very prominent supporting character in his series for a good chunk of the book. So, I mean, if Tim Drake did get his own series, depending on who's actually writing the series, it could mean that um, she very well may could be introduced into the new 52. All right. So then the, uh, the other thing that I wanted to hit on is, um, there was an interview that was done with Fabian Asaiza over on Newsarama. And they specifically asked him the question, are you the new regular writer on Batwing? He responded with this. I don't like the term regular writer anymore. Rarely does it seem to fit. How about irregular writer? No, probably not. How about I'm writing an arc that should take us through issue number 20. After that, we'll see. Hmm. Does that mean Batwing might not be around after issue 20? <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> so, issue 20 would be coming out in May, which would fall in line with what they've done in the past with new series coming out in May. They had the, uh, the first, that first wave of the new 50, or the second wave, I should say, of the new 52 last, this past May, May of 2012, with the new books. Batman Incorporated was part of that. So, could, there be a new wave coming maybe in June. Batwing gets canceled. New series comes out. Maybe a Tim Drake series. I mean, I obviously I'm reading into this a lot, but I think it's interesting how he's specifically saying, well, I'm, I'm only writing an arc that's through issue 20. After that, we'll have to see. I'm wondering think, if he was just brought in to do the book for the time being. I think the way that Fabian this year comes across in a lot of interviews is... Uh, I don't know, like, uh, like he says he gets annoyed with spelling mistakes and how people misspell 
Damien and then he wouldn't answer the question if they got it wrong. So I don't think he really likes interviews that much and a lot of the questions that come with them. So it could just be his response to this question or it could be... Yeah. Remember the time I asked him for an interview after the last issue of Red Robin? He says, I don't think I need to have an interview with this. Yeah, or it, or it could be a, a deeper meaning like Dustin saw into it. I'm really digging in, hoping for this Tim Drake series and, and hoping that when the Tim Drake series comes out, we could actually see something as far as Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown appearing in that book. And that's one of the reasons why I'm reading into this. But also, let us remember that Fabian the Sisa was on Red Robin right before Red Robin ended. And he was also doing Robin back in the day, too. So it's not a far-fetched where we already know that he understands the character um, very well. And also in this interview, it was kind of interesting where he did an interview with Comic Book Resources, too, where they asked him the question of, oh, so what kind of research did you do for working with uh, Batwing because he's in Africa? And he basically answered... Kind of like Joe said, where he, you know, kind of throws an answer out there just because he's not probably not a fan of these interviews, where he basically said, well, I uh, didn't really do a whole lot of research because I filled in at the last second. So I have to wonder, He's he's his story arc is supposed to be hinting at the, the police corruption, so more, more of the... Uh, the, the real side of David Zimbabwe instead of the Batwing side of it, which could be interesting, and that's one of the things that Nisaiza always did very well with Tim Drake was exploring his uh, non-superhero side of things too. So, I mean, I'm not saying I want Batwing to end. I do want the book to get better, but if the decision comes down to let's have Batwing or let's have Tim Drake on for Tim Drake. Hey, oh yeah. Although, I, I do agree that, like, if anybody could make Batwing a more interesting book, or at least flesh out the character more, it would be Fabian. Because that's, that's, that's kind of how, how he writes. Uh, Red Robin was, to me, character-driven. It, it was all about Tim Drake's persona and his actions rather than just, you know, Red Robin fighting crime. And uh, I think if, if he were to get on the book, it would go from, you know, like, like Batwing fighting guys who want to kill Africans to... Batwing, you know, I don't know, just just more about Batwing himself. So I would say, yeah, if he's going to write Batwing, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, if he somehow is going to uh, launch a, a Tim Drake series, uh, shut up and take my money. <laughs> all right, so that's pretty much all the news we're going to talk about this episode. You can head over to the website for some of the other things that have popped up, but there's nothing really that's news-worthy to talk about or discuss here. Um, there's already a bunch of pages from Batman number 15 that have been released. Not uh, full pages, but just the art. There's a number of pages that have been released, so you can check those out. Um, but for the most part, the big majority of news was related to the actual comics coming out, which we'll talk about right now. So, let's get into our first book, with Batman and Robin number 14. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. Batman and Robin number 14, Devoured. Writer Peter J. Tomazzi, penciler Patrick Gleason, inker Mick Gray, colorist John Kalitz. Eat to live, eat to live, eat to live. A snazzy Gotham City dinner party is interrupted by an onrush of strangely clad, wide-eyed, pale-skinned people exclaiming, eat to live. Batman crashes the party as well. 
Dozens of trank darts um, are shot out of his gauntlets at the zombified people. Uh, but these tranks don't really seem to stop the obese zombie juggernauting its way towards Batman and out of a window. Batman subsequently catches the two zombies that have fallen and wonders where they came from. Later in the bowels of Gotham, Robin playing Possum is being carried onto a train when he hears Batman calling him over his comm link, but of course he ignores him. Batman is upset that Robin is ignoring his own safety, but distracts himself by running tests on blood taken from one of these zombies. Back with Robin, some of the cult members are preparing feast preparations by cleaning and dressing the victims and placing Robin in the center of the room. The leader of the Saturn Club prompts the members to drink from skulls in order to achieve immortality and then to devour Gotham. Robin ends his possum game and sets off an explosion, beckoning to the crowd of innocents to follow him to safety. He leads him to an elevator with cult members closely pursuing. When he cuts the elevator cable and creates a cushion at the bottom of the shaft, a la Mission Impossible 4. All are grateful, but he wants them to move, not applaud him. They all climb aboard the antique train, which becomes infested with zombies and potential zombies. Robin is ready to fight when Batman appears at the other end of the train, and they soon fight together. Batman later dresses down Robin, telling him that he was irresponsible for shutting down his comlink, and it left him blind that Joker was running the show. Speak of the devil, and his teeth shall appear, explaining that there are so many strings he doesn't know which to pull, and referencing uh, the great Pinocchio. Later in the cave, Batman explains that he got a lock on Robin's location from the blood sample he took. It could have been bad for Robin, but Robin professes that he had it under control and was only doing what Batman taught him to do, despite the fact that he was told not to be taken hostage again after the nobody incident. Batman is afraid they are not moving forward in their relationship, referencing Jason Todd's glass case is something that reminds him never again and says what all boys fear their girlfriends will one day say i'm not sure if this is going to work <laughs> batman is afraid that damien doesn't care about anyone but himself um but damien says that he does and he places one of martha wayne's pearls onto the table which quickly changes batman's perspective as he states how proud he is of damien and they embrace uh next Death of the family. Okay. Uh, the first thing um, I want to talk about was Joker's involvement in this particular story. Um, because when I first read it, I, I really didn't see any sort of connection to him except for the teeth. And even my second time reading it, uh, when I really sort of zoomed in on what Batman was saying and then sort of flipping back and seeing the leader and everything, I still, I, I feel like it's not as obvious and I don't know what to believe if it's just Batman's like, um, kind of his Richard Nixon like, uh, paranoia that Joker's sort of involved in anything. But what are your thoughts about Joker's involvement in the Saturn Club's designs on Gotham? Was he the man in the hood at the center of the club? And if he was the leader, doesn't this seem like a departure from his normal activities? I I don't I don't think it was Joker, and uh, I think that what little of Joker we got in this issue was kind of uh, tertiary. I, I, this one really felt like a filler issue to me in the midst of all this death in the family stuff, as though Peter Tomasi couldn't like pop out any death of the of the family related uh, stories 
uh, just you know quick enough. Like Batgirl and Catwoman and Batman are all doing it, but this one it had, it, it needed to tell this zombie story, which I was I, I said last time I'm not really a huge fan of. Um, I don't know. I mean, it is this really felt like it was sort of like uh, it's like that time that Jonah Hex had this Court of the Owls tie-in, but it was only like a very bare bones kind of tie-in, and I felt that like whatever Joker is playing for uh, Batman and Robin probably is a lot more. I I doubt it's really connected to this storyline it's kind of felt like a, a you know biding your time until next month kind of thing so i'm not sure that i appreciated what they were trying to do i mean i guess i, I do but a sense but i think that like because of the limits on how much they connected it to the death of the family storyline you might as well have just left it alone my thing was i i didn't feel as if that was the joker in the middle of the room i feel like it was like you said, Stella, I think it was more of uh, the paranoia that the Joker has everything to do with what's going on right now because of what's happening. And I think, like Don said, it was kind of just thrown in there as, well, this event is happening right now in the middle of Death of the Family happening in all of the other titles, so why not just make it seem like maybe the Joker has something to do with this, even though he doesn't. Um, I don't think this had anything to do with the Joker, and I ultimately think that the the idea that Batman is just paranoid that everything could be dealing with the Joker plays into what we'll see, what we'll talk about in Batman, where Batman is convinced that the Joker is, you know, off his normal leash. So, um, I think, um, I think as far as the Joker goes, this was basically just, hey, the death of the family's about to happen or is happening in other titles, so be on the lookout. Yeah, and also there was no Death of the Family banner on top of the issue. And, I mean, I don't think all the series are starting this at the same time. I mean, Detective Comics, which we're going to get to later in the episode, didn't deal with a Death of the Family yet, although it will be starting next issue. So I think each series is kind of taking their time with it. And I think that's something that Scott Snyder wanted. You know, if you want to take part in the crossover, then that's great. Please do. If not, then leave it alone. So what do you think the teeth... What was that about then? Any any ideas on that? I think uh, in the in the uh, context of the comic, it was just the Joker being the Joker, saying "I I can see you." Ha <laughs> ha! I think in the context of Peter Tomasi writing the story, it was this very very like last minute. And I'm not really blaming Tomasi for this because I can I think it's just a way of how the um how the announcement that they're going to do the storyline was announced or presented or whatever. Uh, but I just think that like it was a desperate attempt to tie it to the other comics that came out this month. I don't I don't think there's too much of an explanation you can get from it besides what you see on the on the page. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I would agree completely. Okay, my next uh, was sort of a comparison of Jason and Damien, Damien particularly from this story, um, and not only coming from you know the fact that Batman points to that glass case and talks about that, uh, but also. You know, I recently read Death in the Family, which sort of, you know, it relates. Uh, and and in the first issue, Batman accused Jason of not taking things seriously. And then Jason claimed that, you know, all life is, is a game. And, uh, you know, I just wondered, in this particular issue, do you think that Damien acts in a similar fashion to Jason? Uh, just because, I mean, he disregards, you know, his father's orders and he plays possum, you know. He, he sort of takes things lightly, and I, I even remember that, um, 
you know, he smiles when Batman appears on the train and everything. And then Batman tells him, you know, to go to work. And that's when they start fighting the, the zombies. So what do you think about these two characters? Do they sort of align in this particular issue? My, my thought was that I don't think they align at all. I think the, I actually was taken off guard by the fact that Batman sits there and compares Damien to Jason and says, listen, you're doing exactly what I, I told you not to do. And I don't know if this is going to work. And I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, wait, what? This is where we're going. We're going, we're, we're heading. And, and then, of course, like there was a, a bit of dialogue that says we take three steps forward and two steps back. And I was thinking, yeah, that's exactly what this feels when I'm reading these panels is, wait, what just happened? I thought we were past all of this Bruce doesn't trust Damien type of stuff. But I liked how it was it was concluded with the uh, the, the pearl of Martha Wayne. But the thing is, I don't see Damien being like Jason Todd. I think Damien does take risks, but he takes risks based off of the fact of what he believes he's capable of. Yes. He's, not, he's not looking at it as, oh, this is a game I want to just, I'm doing this to have fun. He's doing it. He's doing what he's doing because he believes he has the skills that he has learned throughout his life and from his father to do what he's doing. And honestly, the entire time Batman was getting upset with him because he wasn't responding on the comm link, the fact that Damien could hear it means his comm link wasn't off. It was just, he wasn't, he wasn't talking back. So why in the world did Batman automatically assume that he turned it off? Why didn't Batman think, Hmm, maybe I should track his comm link because it's not off. He would be able to know whether or not it was off or not. So that was the thing that kind of like threw me off was I, I just didn't understand why exactly we needed to see this rehashing of, of, you know, Bruce being pissed at Damien because Damien does what he does. And the thing is, he wasn't doing it like he, back when nobody happened. He wasn't doing that. He didn't go out on his own and try to take this out or try to take the zombies out. He was already in the midst of the fight with Batman and they just got split up and Damien decided the best course of action was to find, you know, play possum and find out where exactly this cult was headed to, which is what he did. And honestly, I see that as something that Batman would do himself. So for Batman to say, well, you're only a 10-year-old kid, and when are you going to realize that I know a lot more than you? It's just, that comes across as that's not who, what the characters have become in the series, so I'm not sure why they did that. Yeah, the Jason Damien comparison is a really like, like uh, understandable one to make because like where Dick and Tim are sort of like the more, those are those are kind of characters that you would actually like to meet. Damien, Damien and, and Jason always seems like jerks. Um I think that Damien has a, I think that Damien has a, a big inferiority complex in terms of, I, I remember back in issue zero, how he, he wanted to know who fa- his father was. And the, when, the very first time we see him, we see Batman or father, I imagine you taller. I think because of, the, of his upbringing and how spoiled he is, he thinks he can basically do anything. And for the fact that like this person who he's always had dreams and, you know, uh, images of, constantly telling him that he's not satisfied with what he's doing i think that really gets to damien a lot more than i think even the writers realize because he's constantly trying to do his best he i mean he has arrogance but he's never like he's never like like not he he always tries to appease whoever he's working with at least he has been for a while now and in this instance i think that like he's just frustrated with his father and he's trying i mean he's just he's a kid he's trying to do his best he just doesn't understand what the best thing to do is I think that where Jason was concerned, I don't think Jason ever had the drive 
that Batman or Dick had to be a crime fighter. And I think that that, I mean, he didn't, ha- he also had a lot of personal problems, which he didn't figure out with. And I think that Damien has not the same drive that, uh, Dick and, uh, Bruce have, but he has, he has a similar drive enough to try to do good by crime fighting. It's kind of hard to kind of explain quickly, but I think that, uh, if you were compare them, Damien is trying to do the right thing, whereas Jason may be less concerned with doing the right thing, it, at least when he was Robin. So, I mean, that's sort of what I get from that. I will say that, like, I do think that, like, Bruce is right in that, at least with this title concerned, it does feel like the relationship is taking two step, three steps forward, two steps back, because it's either they're hugging or they're arguing or they're hugging or they're arguing. And Damien never really changes all that much in this title. Or at least, if he does change, they are playing the same beats with him. And I think that, I wish Tomasi would try to at least go at it a different way if they are going to disagree. I thought that the, the pearl at the very end was, it was a little, it was a little too little too late for me. It was a nice sentiment, but like by that time, I was like, we've kind of done this before, and I do wish that they would kind of move a little different angle with the Batman Robin relationship. Although I did enjoy the discussion leading up to it. Yeah, and I think for me, in terms of uh, their relationship in this issue, I felt that the whole uh, the the pearl bit and the bit at the end when he was saying, you know, I'm not sure if this is going to work out. I felt that was really forced for me because I've been enjoying this book more and more and I think that the relationship which has been growing is one that I've enjoyed more and more and seeing that relationship develop and then having this kind of huge setback where I mean you can see how happy Damien was to see Batman on the train and you know the art showed his face literally lighting up and saying you know Batman and happy he was there and then Obviously, when he was being dragged away by the zombies, the reason he didn't talk to Batman was not ignoring him. He couldn't because then he'd reveal he was, you know, awake and then the the people carrying him would either, you know, attack him or hurt him or just realize that he was there and then that would be the mission over. So it felt for me like I was really taken aback when that whole scenario came up and I just felt that it was kind of Tomasi almost thinking, oh, wouldn't it have been great if when they were arguing if Damien just gave Batman a pearl from his mother and that would show that he cares. And then he thought, oh, no, I can just make them argue again because that's all they seem to do. And I, I feel, especially feel that Batman, when he said, um, so along the lines of, you, you only care about yourself, I think that's the complete opposite of what Damien is because he always seems to be caring about what Batman thinks of him. And he's always looking out for people. That's why he didn't answer his because he was on a mission and he's always out there trying to fight crime it's not like he's doing it for Damien I think he genuinely cares about what he's doing so I, I really didn't like the end of this issue I felt it was really forced my final question was about the ending uh, especially comparing it to that of Batman Inc um, because well it's funny that um, Joe said that this ending was forced but I f- felt like I was the only one who thought that of the previous Batman Inc. when he told him he had to go back to his mother, and I felt like that was in the same vein. Um, you know, both have, both both this and Batman Inc. have Batman wanting to cut Damien loose, but ultimately Batman comes back from that decision here. Uh, and, and I do wonder what, what we sort of talked about, I guess, but what do you think of the pearl that Robin had? I really wonder where it came from, because it just seemed like, bam, here's this pearl. And then 
Batman said, well, I'm proud of you, son, because his pearl turned it all around. So that that's yeah, no. <laughs> the full ending I see, I, I thought seemed more forced than just the one, you know, this isn't going to work out because we had already seen that before. So what do you guys think of that? The pearl, especially where did, where did it come from? That's my question. I, well, I think the pearl came from the last issue when Damien was down in the sewers. I think that was what he was doing down there. Oh, that's a good thought. That is. And that explains why he was down there and what he was looking for. Yeah. My my thing is, here's the thing. We spent so many pages between Batman and Damien arguing back and forth that by the time he puts the pearl down, unless you're Joe and you figured out that that's what he was down in the sewers for, you really don't understand why he just pulled out that pearl. I mean, we know now because obviously if that's what he was doing down in the sewer and he was looking for the pearl because he does care about his father and he looked to find the pearl... That makes sense, and then it's then it has more impact. But I don't know how many people actually put that together. I didn't put it together until Joe just said it now. So, I mean, not knowing what he was doing and where he got that pearl, it is forced. It's very forced because they spend so many pages arguing for him just to pop out this pearl and put it down and say, "Well, here." And Batman's like, "Oh, I'm so proud of you." Wait, where did he get the pearl? How did he get the pearl? Why did he just randomly pull it out now? So, I mean, that's really that really is forced, because how many pages do we have Batman yelling and arguing with Damien only for him to completely change his tune once he sees the pearl? So that, to me, was forced. But if you take it from the perspective of, well, that's where he got the pearl in the last episode, or the last issue when he was down in the sewers, it, it, it makes it a little bit more understanding. But... Even even so, that doesn't explain how Batman would know where he got the pearl or where he randomly would make that appear from. So that's why I thought that the the ending was sort of like, I mean, like it was what, what was it? I forget which issue number it was, but the issue after, like the very last issue of the Nobody uh, story, where B basically Dick and not Dick, Bruce and Damian basically talk and they kind of hash it out. I thought that was a really good moment between the two, but it seems like Tomasi's kind of chasing that chasing. That beat of, uh, you know, argue, 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 you know, um, hug, argue, 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 hug, you know, here's, here's the lunar eclipse. I'm proud of you, Damien, my son. Damien, what the hell are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. It's like, it really is like, you know, two beats. And that's not a relationship. That's sort of a pattern that gets old after a while. And it, it kind of fails the book if that's all you can really do. Cause that's why, that's part of why I wish Tom Austin would just focus on the characters, uh, personalities besides the anger. Because I feel it really is sort of uh, lacking creativity in some respects. All right, so Batman and Robin number 14, I'm going to give a total of three out of five batterings. I agree, three out of five batterings for me. I'll give it three and a half out of five batterings. Um, I'm actually going to give it four out of five uh, batterings. I think that it, it still continues uh, the relationship and... Um, I mean, it, it still has a rocky start. I didn't really like the Saturn Club as much, and I wonder if there's going to be more with it. Um, and the ending was a little weird, but overall, I, I still enjoyed it. All right, so that's going to give Batman and Robin number 14 a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batgirl number 14. Well, hello, beautiful. Batgirl 14, A Courtship of Razors. Writer Gail Simone. Penciled by Ed Benes and Daniel Sampier. Visited Cifuentes did the inks, as well as did Mark Irwin. Ulysses Ariola and Kyle Ritter did the colors. 
So uh, we pick up from the last issue where Barbara is talking to an empty phone, screaming, Mom, Mom. And uh, suddenly she hears a distorted voice tell her not to be afraid, calm down. And, uh, oh, by the way, your mom's been kidnapped by the same people who shot you. <laughs> so um, Barbara's freaking out. And as uh, the creepy voice on the other end of the phone grittily tells her to make a sandwich, she's going over in her head what she's going to do to the people who uh, took her mom. So at that moment, thugs and clown masks break down her door. And um, I suppose they're there to either kill her or kidnap her or attack her or whatever. They have bats. They have aluminum bats. But uh, <laughs> sort of a reverse from uh, Batgirl number one where she kind of froze at the sight of a gun. Barbara here takes one look at these guys and just unleashes redheaded hell on each and every one of them. Just, you know, breaking their bones, using all sorts of martial arts and beating the crap out of them in a really awesome scene. Uh, destroying one guy's leg and just stomping on it. Even gra- grabbing the guy's gun and like puts it to his forehead. Saying like, where's my mom? And he says, I don't know anything. Please don't kill me. So Barbara's completely and utterly just pissed off at these people. Um, at that moment, she, uh, has her cell phone called and given the directions of where to find her mom. And then Alicia comes home saying, Gordon, Barbara, Gordon, what's going on? Barbara says, you know, I'm sorry. Just call the cops. Take the cat. Uh, tell him it was a home invasion, but nothing else. We're not going to see each other again. Uh, forget you ever knew me. So <laughs> presumably that's the last time we're going to see her, Alicia. So Batgirl is storming down to uh, what will eventually be known as some bowling alley, thinking that Joker for sure knows who she is because her mom was attacked in the same way that she was, and she was as well. Uh, so we see the Joker still with his uh, taped on, fi- uh, scalped off face, and Barbara Gordon Sr., Tied to a chair. Um, bar, as, as Batgirl is scouting out the area and taking out the henchmen and confronting the Joker, uh, on the bowling, or I'm sorry, it's not a bowling, it's a skating rink. Blah. On the skating rink, he says that, you know, he's actually the only person in the world capable of showing love. Him, the Joker, mass serial killer. So she says, so he, he says, I hoped you would show up. And she says, what do you mean, hope? You give me the directions by phone. And he says, actually, I've not touched a phone in months. Ha ha ha. So Batgirl takes this time out to get on her cell phones, and uh, the person on the other end says, I'm sorry to see you, but I couldn't let this hideous creature harm our mother, can I? And um, no points for guessing. It was James Gordon Jr. who led her to the Joker. So while Joker is preening and, you know, going on, Batgirl is wondering what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> we see that uh, Barbara Gordon Sr. has a bandage on her hand, and Joker gets down on one knee, pulls out her finger with her ring on it and proposes marriage to her. <laughs> Next, will Batgirl say I do? <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's a surprisingly very good issue, I thought. Uh, in fact, I think that for the first time in 14 months, this is actually a very good issue of Batgirl. Um, we'll get to it a little bit later. I will say, to kind of start off, that um, I thought it was a very... I kind of read this out of sequence because I know that uh, this takes place, I think, after Batman 14. And a big theme of and this and that issue is whether or not the Joker knows their identities. Um, now, I think that, like, because of, he says, I've not touched a phone in months, it could be him playing her. It could be him telling the truth. You never know with the Joker. I think that in the, in the fact that, like, he attacked her and is expecting a Batgirl... I was wondering whether he was attacking Barbara or was he, or he was attacking Jim Gordon because uh, 
he does attack Jim Gordon later uh, in Batman. But do you guys? I mean, basically, I'm asking. We might get this in Batman uh, 14, but I was wondering if you guys thought he knew Batgirl's identity, even though he didn't invite her towards the skating ring. Do you think that because he kidnapped her mom, he knows who she is, or was it an attempt to attack uh, Jim Gordon's family? My entire, the entire time I was reading this, I kept, you know, when we, when okay, let me let me back up. Last month when we reviewed Batman number 13, I kept saying over and over again. The reason why I didn't get a perfect score for me was because I could not figure out whether or not Joker knows who Batman is. And <clears throat> we'll talk about more about who the Joker knows um, in Batman number 14, so I don't want to ruin that. But the big thing is, I when I was reading this, I kept thinking to myself, okay, why is the Joker calling Barbara? I didn't see it coming until, obviously... Um, she was still talking with the person on the phone as the Joker was standing there talking to her mother and the mother and he didn't have a phone in his hand. So I kept thinking, hmm, how is the Joker doing two different, talking to two different people at once, but he doesn't have a phone in his hand? So that was, uh, the, the interesting thing because for a good half of the issue, I kept thinking to myself, holy crap, the Joker does know who all of the Bat family is. So then we proceed on, and I honestly think that the reason why he went after Barbara Gordon Sr. was because of Jim Gordon, because he ultimately is trying to screw with Jim Gordon first. And we see that in Batman number 14, but we also saw that in Batman number 13, where he heads to the police station and he kills a bunch of people, but leaves Gordon to basically sit there by himself as the last surviving person basically leading Gordon to believe that the reason why this has happened is because the Joker's screwing with Gordon. So I think he went after her because of Gordon. Now, the one thing that I did not, I could not figure out, and I will need some clarification from a backroll expert here, but why in the world would Barbara Gordon Sr. be wearing her wedding ring if she's divorced? That's a very good point. But I was, I was thinking about that as I was making the synopsis. Uh, maybe he put one on her, and that's not actually her real ring. Because like, there wasn't a natural divorce; like she left, right? Yeah, I guess. And maybe just because she's trying to get back with him, isn't that kind of the point of her being back in Gotham to try and restore family ties? Family ties, but not to Jim. She didn't really. I mean, besides visiting him at uh, the police station, it's been more about connecting with Barbara. You know, I guess. I, I don't, I remember that scene where she says, hello, Jim, Barbara, and then like they cut away. We don't see what they were talking about. As to your point, though, didn't, I mean, the way Joker's talking to Barbara, I mean, and saying, you know, I hoped I'd see you. I was under the impression that by kidnapping her mother, he knew who she was, and that's how he hoped to attract her. But then I guess saying, I hoped I'd see you, opposed to, uh, you know, like, I knew you'd come. Would then well, there, it... there, there was also another thing because when he right before I think it was I think it was right before it was it was revealed that James Jr. was on the phone or it was right after he says he doesn't reference uh, Barbara Senior as her mother he references her as this woman so in my mind I kept thinking well okay so if the Joker knows who it is why wouldn't he just say right out front hey use your mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. there's, there's lots of misdirection going on here. Yeah, surprisingly good writing from Gail Smith. But the question is: Is it actually misdirection, or is it just confusing the ultimate the ultimate plan? 
Because that's the other thing. I mean, like, so in Batman number 14, we'll just say it now. Joker says he knows who everybody is. So the reality is that's said there. So he says it's that. Not, right. And that's what he, he, he says. But we don't know whether or not that's true or not. But in this issue, we're seeing him reference Barbara Sr. as just a woman compared to uh, Batgirl. Because if he knew, then he could say, well, I'm here because of your mother. And if I was the Joker, I would also see him make some snark remark about, oh, by the way, I also just took out your dad. But you don't see that. So the question is, is that part of the overall plan of what they're trying to accomplish here with leading us to believe that maybe he does know everybody's identities? Or is it just he doesn't know the identities and he's basically calling their bluff? I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of this... We never know. And then it's going to be sound like even Batman says, I don't want to know if he knows because... Why wouldn't you want to know? (laughs) I guess. But, uh, I mean, it's going to be scarier if you don't know if he knows. So, yeah, what I just said wouldn't make sense. But um, for the Joker to keep this a secret, whether he knows or not, and keep toying with people is, I think, very much in his MO and especially the way he's been written now, you know, he's changed. He's meant to be a lot darker. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if part of the, the brief for this crossover was, you know, don't let, don't say yes or no, the Joker does or doesn't know, uh, maybe make hints towards it. But I think that's, I, I don't think it's necessarily confusing. Um, I think it's meant to be frustrating because, you know, it kind of puts you in the place of the characters as to whether he knows who they are or not. I don't think he does know because I'm going. I kind of going at this from uh, what I can guess is Joker's point of view. Like, in, he attacks Jim Gordon in Batman 14 mainly to screw with Batman. It's not so much you know like he has any grudge against Gordon particularly because he he kind of sees Gordon as a joke. And I would imagine if he knew who Batgirl was, he would find it more. And this and this is you know I'm trying to get in the head of a fictional serial killer, but he would. I would imagine he would kind of go after Bat, uh, Jim Gordon and Barbara Gordon Senior to mess with Batgirl, and then he would like, take out Batgirl to mess with Batman. But I think right now, I'm of the opinion that he does... I mean, we, again, we're going to get this to a lot more in uh, Batman 14, but I'm of the opinion that he doesn't know based on... this, uh, Just based, based on the, uh, the evidence, but I think it is intentionally vague, and you could argue both ways. Now, the, uh, the second point I have is that... <laughs> Finally, uh, after all these issues of a really useless Batgirl, I think Barbara Gordon is finally acting, uh, more, I don't want to say character, but like pretty much how I feel that she should. She's a grown woman and she has all this training. And I think that like in this instance, I was really feeling like we were being, being set up for the whole simpering, what am I going to do? Oh crap kind of care that we've been getting for a while in this title. And when the bad guys come in, and proceed to get their uh, collective butts handed to them. I think that from then on, I don't think that, I think that uh, Gail Simone had mentioned at SCCC that uh, because of the storyline, or at least because of this encounter with the Joker, Barbara's going to kind of move past uh, her whole phobia. And I think that this is the, this would be a great start to that. And I think that like with this instance, it wasn't just a cool scene, but I think it was Barbara kind of breaking out of that, that shell that she made for herself in number, in back row number one. So my question to the panel is, what do you guys think about this? Uh, what do you guys, what did you guys think about that scene and sort of that turn in her character? Cause I think it is, it's, it's almost alien to the title and her being so vicious, but I think it's, it's right for the character that she is more assertive. And I think that, uh, I hope that we see more of it. So what did you guys think about 
that scene where she fought the henchmen? Uh, well, it was great that she was finally sort of showing, well, the skills that she definitely has and has had in the past, which somehow are lost in translation and other stories. Um, I, I think she still has a little bit to go because it seems like one issue she's able to show this and then another issue she'll get beat up by someone quite easily, like Batwoman perhaps, and then she'll go back and she'll show that she has skills again. So it's fine that she shows you know, a strength of character in this issue, but I think the real test is if that stays consistent in future issues. That it takes the Joker to get past all of this. Um, well, weren't, wasn't she supposed to get past all of it when she, like, met that bodyguard? Well, not the bodyguard, but one of his henchmen. <laughs> so it's like, is she ever going to get past it? Because she was supposed to be over it way long ago, and then something happened, and now this is happening. So it'd be great if she did sort of finally move on. Um, I, psh, I don't know. I That's... It's great. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just like really um, cynical, but you know, it's great. She she seems wonderful in this issue, but the next issue down the line, I feel like, hey, it's just going to go back to the way it was before. So I'm sort of in the wait, wait and see. I feel that it's good that she's becoming a stronger character, but it feels out of place in the series just because of how she's been portrayed so far. And I I don't I think. The way I'm seeing this is it's almost like Gail Simone is kind of putting herself in the place of Batgirl as if, you know, there's times when you you have an argument with someone or something happens and then you just wish that you could go back in time and redo it or like say something that would, you know, make you come out on top. And I think that that's really kind of the main theme of this issue is that Barbara's saying, okay, this is almost exactly what happened before. This is what's happening again. So I'm going to do what I can to, you know, to change that and to to make myself quite on top and show that I'm a strong person. And then if that if this is what it takes to have a strong Batgirl, then that's good. And I'm glad that, you know, that's what's going to come out of this. And I hope that, like Stella said, I hope that this is going to be consistent. Um, so, uh, like I said, I mean, it seems a bit out of character, but I think in the context that it is, it's... It still works, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of this character. My thing is, we've seen <clears throat> we've seen this numerous times where Barbara Gordon is, she, well, in this specific series. Let's just start with that. In this specific series, we've seen Barbara Gordon basically get her rear end handed to her numerous times by every single villain that she's gone up against because she either freezes up, she's not paying attention. She isn't utilizing the skills that we know she has. You know, something like that. I mean, was it not just last month where she was stabbed in the back or <laughs> the side by Nightfall because mm-hmm. she wasn't paying attention? Oh, who I remembers mean, that? That was so long ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, let's, let's just try to completely forget that. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's just, to me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm, I'm with Joe where it doesn't <laughs> make any sense where the, you know, the character is, um, basically uh incompetent superhero in one issue and then the next issue she's beating up thugs like there's no tomorrow and really the only difference between the two was that she wasn't wearing the Batgirl suit so what is it when she wears the Batgirl suit she has a problem fighting people well that can't be the case because then she took out those henchmen with just like a couple quick swift things it's just i just don't i just don't understand it i mean like don't get me wrong 
I like this issue. This is the way Batgirl should be written. I just don't understand why it took over 14 issues for her to be written like this. And why is it that it's the same writer who's been writing her the complete opposite for all 14 issues? So, I mean, like, to me, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense why all of a sudden this is happening. You know, I'd love for Barbara Gordon to stay like this, for her to be an ass kicker and, you know, taking names and stuff. But the reality is that this could only be happening because of Death of the Family. And I really, really, really hate to say this, but I would almost wonder if Gail Simone is changing the persona of Batgirl for the Death of the Family because the book will sell more copies to bring more people into the series and then revert her back to the way she wants to write her after Death of the Family, which I really hope to God is not the case. And and honestly, if Gail Simone is doing that, I mean, I give her props for thinking of that. But at the same time, that just proves that she's like trying to like basically ruin this character. So I really want the character to stay like how she's how she appears in number fourteen. But we we're really gonna have to wait and see after Death of the Family happens to see what actually happens with this. You know what though? Because I think this is important that like uh, I think that you guys are oh my, my sneeze. Um, the, you guys are saying that like it's, it doesn't make any sense that she would beat these people up i think that like the situation certainly warrants it because at the end of the day they really are just like kind of henchmen i think that i think barbara gordon is as capable as her experience and training should be i don't think any sort of psychosomatic issue should shield should keep her from being an effective crime fighter for more than a, a story arc at best i mean i kind of i didn't like it but i kind of i i rolled with it in the first storyline but like by by the nightfall storyline and by the Gretel story i was like you 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 lost your way and I mean, to me, it wasn't so much. It was back it, to me. This this felt like Oracle. This felt like Oracle beating up the the League of Assassin people from was it was it Red Robin the, the issue where like you know oh no the people were going after the Bat Family but Oracle beat it all up and like you know in the Batcave with two of Screamer sticks. It feels like the kind of person who is capable of being as good a fighter as Nightwing or possibly maybe not as Batman but you know up there because she's had the training. I don't, I think that like, and I, I agree with you. It's inconsistent in terms of writing, but I think that like, and I, I agree that like, you know, because of Gail Simone's inconsistent way of showing Barbara Gordon's skills and her, you know, fetish for having her get beat up almost every, every single time, it is jarring. But to me, I kind of really want to see more of this and hope I, I, and I know you guys too encourage her to be like this i think if gail simone is writing her like this cool and then wants to revert back to her being an ineffectual crime fighter and issues to come what's wrong with her i mean i thought she liked this character but i think for now i think that this really this to me felt like a watershed moment where she's she she thinks she's going up against a joker and she just has all this pin of rage and action towards uh being fighting back that there's no i don't think there's any other place for her to fall towards she's fallen down and she's gotten back up so She's sort of running towards where she needs to be. Uh, so yeah. Uh, but my final topic, and I hope this, uh, won't go too long, but I think that like, I really do like this issue <laughs> for the first time in the series ever. But I will say that like, I, and I think I mentioned this maybe last month, that, uh, I think that Gail Simone thinks that to sort of legitimize Barbara Gordon as Batgirl, she has to kind of make the story, or make the stories really kind of grim and gritty. And we've talked about how we've had the mirror character and the Gretel character all be like these horrible uh, villains of circumstance. 
uh, and these really brutal crimes. I think that like I was kind of wrong with the issue, but then when the Joker, I was laughing when the Joker proposed about Batgirl because I thought that was a very Silver Age. I thought that was right out of like the old um, uh, uh, Infantino comics. But then I rec- I recognized what he had in his hand. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. And I nearly lost my lunch. And I thought it just reminded me of like when he has face sliced off in the first place. And I'm wondering, do you guys think that, that Barbara Gordon or at least Batgirl, this title has to be this dark? Because it's not Stephanie Brown. It is Barbara Gordon. Do you think because she's an older character, this has to be as dark to be an effective series? Do you think that Gail Simone is trying to make it as dark as Batman to sort of make the character worth? Because people were saying, like, you know, Barbara Gordon being Batgirl is a step backwards. So do you think that this is the only way she can kind of be the story, the title can be written? Or do you think that it's sort of Gail Simone grasping at straws and there's other ways to write the title and not be so intense and so basically R-rated in terms of violence? I, I think that there definitely is. Um, you know, there's not one way to write Babs. Uh, and, and she has her darker moments. Like, there are some bad things. Like, I just read a recent detective issue for 84 where someone sends a, um, an envelope bomb to Commissioner Gordon. And so then she's sort of on this search of who, who did this. And the question is, was it because of his enemies or my own political enemies sort of getting to me through him? And so that was certainly more of a darker storyline. But Babs is, you know, she's not as bubbly as Stephanie Brown, but she enjoys what she does. If, if she didn't, she wouldn't be doing that. And so it, it's clearly shown, you know, in the dialogue and sort of the fun that she has and, and being able to play off of different characters. Uh, now she says, you know, lines that I suppose should be taken as if they are, they're fun and quirky, but, you know, I, I can, continually comment on them that they're not they just come across really poorly and dumb and and i don't really know why she's saying these sorts of things like that titanic i'll I'll probably always remember that reference that she made at the beginning of i think um the one with uh gretel in there and i i think dc seems to and this is not coming out of left field because i have i have like evidence but dc seems to think that bat characters should have darker books and that if there's a lighter bat book uh that that there's just no place for that there's just no place for sort of people having fun and well we saw stephanie brown had a lot of fun and there again were some darker moments that popped up especially uh with all the stuff going on with the calculator at that time um but but here it just seems like we can't really lighten the tone and I don't know it it seems like a burden to read this each week because you expect something that should be fun with you know Batgirl on there it should be a a more fun title but it it does really seem dark and and dreary will it ever sort of brighten up I really don't know I mean this this storyline is going to be dark because it's Joker and we've already seen that he's a darker persona than we've seen before but afterwards I think it's still going to be this sort of dark dark tone and and I don't think that's the way that Babs has been written in the past or should be written because she should be one of the the happier, lighter characters. The thing in my mind is that I have to wonder to myself, you know, when we compare this Batgirl to the Steph Brown Batgirl that we had before the New 52, one of the things that was really interesting was how much we delved into their personal life 
there's a lot more of Steph's personal life that popped up in the book compared to Barbara Gordon's personal life. I mean, every story arc that's happened has had, you know, a little bit here and there with her moving into an apartment and meeting Alicia and then exploring very briefly Alicia linking up with James Jr. But the reality is that there's not nearly as much as what's what happened with the Steph Brown series. And I think that's one of the reasons why the, these books seem so dark is because we don't really explore the personal side of these characters as much as, you know, them just every four issues or three issues, them fighting a new villain for the set amount of issues, and that's what the story is all about. Batman Robin does a decent job of exploring Bruce and Damien's relationship, but for the most part, these books don't really explore, you know, the, the relationships these characters have outside of, you know, their costumes, which I think is a real shame because mm-hmm. the reality is that we just have too many of these characters where all it is is, I mean, you could compare almost every single one of the books to, there's three or four issue story arcs, there's a new villain in every one, or an existing villain, but they fight them for three or four issues, and in the meantime, we get these little sprinkles of stuff that's in their personal life, but never enough to really like make a difference for you to really take hold and make make a make a point to remember it. Like quite honestly, if they got rid of this Alicia character as they're seemingly doing at, in this issue, do I care? No, because I have no investment in this character. But if we compare like Steph Brown's series with the, the people that she went to school with, you know, we, you know, Francesco was one of those characters that we knew mm-hmm. throughout the entire series and was referenced multiple times. He didn't have to have a large role and he didn't end up having to be a villain or something like that. But the reality is that we knew the characters just like we knew all of the other ones. And like these little sprinkles that we get in the books now, it's just, there's, I mean, yeah, it's interesting seeing them fight. But one of the reasons why Scott Snyder's books are so good is because even though it is Batman fighting a villain of, let's say, ten issues, because Scott Snyder's story arcs are much longer, it's still delving into a lot more of the, the history of the Waynes, the history of Gotham City, you know, some of the personal stuff. I'm sure this Joker story is going to deal a lot of the personal stuff related to the Bat family, because what would be the point of bringing all of this, bringing the Joker back and having him go back after all of the Bat family if they're not going to bring any of... Bruce's relationships with some of the supporting characters. So, I mean, like, that's one of the reasons why his book can be dark, but yet still be very good, because it incorporates a lot of this personal aspects of the character. These other books, on the other hand, they don't do that very well. So, I, I mean, I just, I wish it would happen more, and in, in the case of Batgirl, it should be a lighter book, because she's not a character who's supposed to be dark and grim, even though that's the way she's been written over the past year. Yeah, Kind of like a dovetail, because you made a lot of, kind of good, really good points. Kind of like dovetail off of that. I remember, again, back in San Diego Comic Con, when Josh and I were at the Batman panel, a fan went up and said, you know, you guys are some of the sickest writers. You write some of the craziest crap ever. And Gail Simone herself, like, 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 shot up her fist, like, woo! And to me, that kind of shows a real disconnect that at least they have with me in terms of Batman books I care to read. I mean, Batman is, a, is flat out a dark character. He is. But that doesn't necessarily mean that every single character related to him is. If you, and I, you know, I hate to be the continuity snob, but if you go back to look at Tim Drake's series, Cassandra Kane's series, Nightwing series, they all had different tones to them. They weren't just flat out dark because they were partners of Batman. Tim had a lot of stuff with his personal life with his family and his, his school friends. Dick had a lot of personal stuff with the people in his apartment and the people at his job. Um, 
Cassandra had a, even though she's a dark character, she had a different tone because she was learning how to become a normal person. She was learning how to, you know, make friends and, you know, do things a normal girl should do. The tone should be dictated by the characters' personalities, not by just becoming, because they're Batman books. And I think that with that, I think that you make a good point. Honestly, I mean, I don't care about Alicia either, but it's a real mistake to take her out of the book because she is a character that makes Barbara Gordon not just Batgirl. All we're seeing is Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. Even this one, she's fighting. She's Barbara Gordon without the costume, but she's really Batgirl. And a lot of what people like about the Bat family is that they have different aspects to their personas that flesh them out. We're here with like this one, and in, I think Nightwing is currently doing a good job, but here in, in Batman Robin and other books, it's just dark, 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 dark. And again, in fairness, this is more of a critique on like this current state of the Bat books as it, rather than the uh, issue itself. But I think this issue is a good example of I think they just have this in their heads, just just grim and greedy all the time. I think that's a very two-dimensional, facetious idea. I think Scott Snyder fleshes Batman out to be... It's a dark book, but at the same time, it's like very interesting and very engaging in the way he tells it. His storytelling is different than just, let's show as many murders as possible. It's a lot more fleshed out than that. But that's, that's just my rant for this episode. I, I apologize. Yeah, and I think, uh, getting on top of that, it, what Scott Snyder does is he uses violence to effectively. When he does it, it's, it's often shocking. He doesn't always have it right up in the right up in the panel. I mean, when Joker goes around snapping the necks of people, it's in the dark. We don't see anything, and that makes it almost more horrific. And other writers like Gail, like Gail Simone have done is just made everything completely bloody. Everything's, I mean, Dark Knight is a prime example. Everything's just soaked in blood all the time and I think there's a difference between using violence to kind of uh, show the the gravity of a situation opposed to just using it to shock the reader or try and shock the reader you know every every few pages by having someone get stabbed or shot or beaten up or have their arm broken all right so back to number 14 I'm going to give this one a total of four out of five batterings I concur four what a pair of games out of five batterings Four out of five batterings. Um, I guess I'll agree. Four out of five. All right, back on number fourteen, it's a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics number fourteen. What have you got for me? Detective Comics number fourteen, written by John Layman, with art by Jason Fabok. The issue opens where the last one left off, with Bruce being attacked by the masked assassins. Bruce is trying to survive the attack without displaying his fighting prowess. However, taking advantage of the situation. Penguin saves the day by stabbing the assassin in the back of the neck with his umbrella. The next morning, in the Batcave, Damien is bantering with Bruce about the previous night's events and saying that they should go after Penguin tonight. But Bruce has other plans. We then cut to the night, where Batman is being held down by vines whilst Poison Ivy plants, get it, her mind-controlling kiss on him. Batman forces off the effects of the kiss whilst Ivy leads him into a factory. We cut to earlier that morning where we see the reason how Batman found Poison Ivy. Uh, Ivy's been on a crime spree, taking out heavily polluting, albeit legitimate, factories, all of which apparently owned by the Penguin. Damien doesn't know why Batman wants to stop her, especially after what Penguin did to Bruce, but Batman realises that Ivy's going about things the wrong way and isn't, in, and isn't evil, just misguided. We cut back to the night where Poison Ivy kisses Batman again in another attempt to control him but before long realizes that it's useless. And we learn from Batman that he is using seizure-inducing flashes to shock his brain back to reality. 
After realising that Batman won't help her take down the factory, Ivy attacks him, but mid-fight, Batman realises that the whole thing was a setup for Ivy. Batman tries to warn her, but she's stubborn, and as a result, both Ivy and Batman get knocked out in the trap. Whilst unconscious, Ogilvy, Penguin's assistant, turns up and carries Ivy off, but spares Batman, saying it's not his time. Although he does set the factory on fire. The smoke of the blaze wakes up Batman, but as he gets to his feet, he's jumped by Clayface, shouting, What have you done with my wife? In the backup, written also by John Lehman, with art by Andy Clark, we basically see Poison Ivy breaking into Arkham Asylum, commenting about how easy it is to do so as she does it. And we see her... Uh, we see her break out Clayface, and as she opens the door, she says, I'm busting you out of here. We're getting hitched. To be continued. And um, there's only really one major point, but I think it's a pretty long one. I just kind of want to talk about the the way the characters are presented in this, the, the way that they're written. I mean, for instance, we have Batman all the way through talking, referring to himself as Bruce Wayne, so he's really separate rating himself in that and then we have Damien being very light-hearted he's you know, cracking lots of jokes we have Ogilvy the assistant sparing Batman's life at the end even though he could very easily kill him so I just want to talk about a few of those things where I don't know if you feel it works or if you feel that things were odd and should have been done differently or could have been done differently I think that uh to me, I think that it's a little jarring because a lot of the Bat books lately have been kind of in the very monochromatic, in a way, kind of sense of how Batman addresses himself and how the villains act. I think John Lehman, uh, I think John Lehman's a lot hard. I don't think John Lehman can get very dark in his writing that I've seen because he writes Chew from Image. And while that's going to be kind of a, a, a kind of a sick and twisted story, it's very, very dark. And I think that, like, he's telling a very basic, I should say basic, but more, more of a Bronze Age-ish, uh, Batman story. You know, basically, like, oh, the penguins involved, uh, the supervillains are around. It's, it's very, I don't want to say upon the numbers in a bad way, because I think it's an, an, a decent story. I think that he doesn't have a lot of this, I don't think he has a lot of the, uh, the time to really give these characters a lot of, like, uh, dark underpinnings. So that's why kind of Damien's a little more chatty. That's why Poison Ivy's really like, this is, this is like Poison Ivy from like, like, you know, real old school Poison Ivy. Just like, just like, oh, Batman, I'll kiss you now. Now I'll attack you. Uh, Damien's, you know, Damien's basically a Robin Cypher. And, um, again, Batman addressing himself as Bruce Wayne. We've not seen that in a long time. And I like it. I don't really like the idea that Batman just thinks of himself as Batman because I kind of, I think that a lot of that, that, uh, mindset has kind of been, done to death to the point where it's not, it's kind of irrelevant but i will agree with you that like i don't i particularly i won't say i, I don't now like it but i don't dislike it either i kind of welcome the change but it is jarring and i i, mean, I think that's basically what it's just mainly jarring i don't think it serves a negative purpose i don't think it serves a wholly positive purpose on the long uh in the long run as far as the characters go in this book i, I think the the reality is john Lehman has because he has worked on things in the past that deals with more of the humor. He actually said in one of the interviews we talked about when it was first announced he was going to be on Detective Comics, he said he was going to bring some humor to the book. So I mean, it's kind of expected, but the thing is, we obviously know that 
that uh, Batman is not the character who's probably going to have the humor, so we have to see the other characters uh, bring the humor into it. But I think, for the most part, I think Damien cracking a joke, I think that's okay, because Damien's, as serious as he is in every other book, I think Damien, he's still, he's still a kid. He's 10 years old. So if he cracks a joke, it's, it's not like, oh my god, that's so out of character, because he's still a kid who's only <laughs> 10 years old. Um, honestly, the, uh, Oblivy character, him saying the thing about, well, you know, this is a different, you know, Batman, your time's a different, you've, you've, this is not your time to die. You've got a different time that you'll have to die. The thing is, like, I see that as kind of, a specific point, uh, Oblivy in the backup in the last issue made it very clear that he has no intention to do anything that's not necessary. He's not going to go above and beyond. He's not going to see Batman laying on the floor and say, oh, this is the perfect opportunity for me to kill Batman. I'm going to make a name for myself because that's not who the character is. So, I mean, f- as far as the characterization of that character, we, that was played out pretty well just based off of what we saw in the last book as far as giving the character a reason for him just to leave Batman lay there. Um, but as for Poison Ivy, I think she's actually probably done a little bit better here than she's been done in, in Birds of Prey, because in Birds of Prey she comes across as she has one goal, and the goal is, uh, you know, the, the ego-terrorism stuff, but in the same point it's the ego-terrorism to like a, a very, very high degree where she doesn't care about anything else, and here... She cares about the eco-terrorism, but she's basically telling Batman, listen, you know what I'm doing is right, so why not just help me out? And, like, we never really saw that. She basically just threatened the birds of prey and said, listen, if you don't help me, you're going to die. And that's that's a very different characterization. So I, I like this characterization of Poison Ivy better than what we saw in Birds of Prey. This is a very classic Poison Ivy. This is a straight-up, like, you know... This is a kind of point of view would say in the animated series and everything. Like, you know, I'm going to destroy things in the name of plant science. And, you know, what I'm doing, she sees, she sees herself as a good guy, but she's clearly a crazy psycho person. I would agree with that. And I also like the fact that it, Batman recognizes that and that he knows that what she's doing kind of is right in a, in a way, but, and he almost tries to justify it by, looking into the history of the, the factories that she's destroying, but they're all legitimate. And I like the fact that he goes there and he's saying, you know, Ivy, we need to talk. You've got to stop this. And doesn't just run up and punch her in the face like a lot of, like we've seen that in a lot of other books. I think Dustin was right in the characterization of Oglevy. Um, I still don't know how to pronounce his name. That's going to bug me. But, because I, I was kind of thinking, why didn't he just, you know, he's got a can of gasoline. You could just pour that on and set him on fire. And then I remembered the, the backup issue and I thought, you know, it might be a bit of a stretch, but that, that definitely does kind of work towards this. And it, it would be interesting to see him become more of a, a, a used character in this series. And if he starts popping up more and, and, uh, we see, we see him become a recurring character, especially working for Penguin, but just in the book in general. You don't have anything else. I, I will say that, like, it's a little odd to see Poison Ivy and Clayface, like, like, quote unquote, married. <laughs> I don't know you know this, Dustin, considering No Man's Land and how he treated her then. I just want to point that out if anybody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's very weird. It's, it's ad. Read it for yourself. I'm not even going to get into that. Since it comes to number 14, I'm going to give a total of four and a half out of five batterings. I liked it. I thought, I thought it, was a, it was a, it felt like I was reading an enjoyable comic book. Really good art and, uh, decent, solid storytelling. I'll give it, um, yeah, I'll give it four out of five batterings. Yeah, I really enjoyed this as well. Um, I, I think, I, need a few more issues though before I kind of 
adjust to layman's writing style because it's I think the clash of the slight comedy in it and the seriousness of it is I need to get used to it but I, I'm really enjoying it and looking forward to reading more of him in the future so 4 out of 5 batterings and 4 out of 5 for me alright so Detective Comics number 14 gets a total of 4 out of 5 batterings let's move into our last issue Batman number 14 you know Bats we've been doing this little run around of ours for years it's been loads of laughs but the sad fact is none of us are getting any younger written by Scott Snyder or by Greg Capullo the issue starts off exactly where the last issue ended, where Batman is stuck inside of the tank at Ace Chemicals, and Harley Quinn is standing above, muttering about how Joker is gone, and he is he's basically not the same person that he was. After Batman tells Harley he needs she needs to open the tank, um, she appears to disappear, and the acid begins to mix inside of the tank. After Batman basically protects himself by putting a face mask on so he can breathe through it. He uh, causes an explosion that pops him out of there, but not before his bat suit actually gets slowly deteriorated in multiple spots. Um, as he is trying to figure out if Harley Quinn's still around, she is. it's unknown whether or not she's still around because he unfortunately has damaged his suit beyond the capabilities of being able to do anything. So then we see him in the Batmobile heading back to the Batcave, where he sends a message to all the allies, stating, Allies, be on the highest alert. Joker may be targeting you individually. Repeat, be on the highest alert. Um, as he gets back to the Batcave, he asks for Alfred, but Alfred is nowhere to be found. So as he walks through Wayne Manor, he finds a package with a tape inside of it, cassette tape. He goes and plugs the cassette tape in, and it's actually a, a recording from... Um, the Joker, with Alfred in the background, basically explaining to Bruce that he borrowed Alfred because he needs Alfred for a very special celebration. Um, so essentially, from there, he, he gets very upset and snaps the cassette, and then we see Jim Gordon sitting at his house, and uh, Batman appears and explains to Gordon that Joker's coming after him. After... Uh, Gordon questions whether or not, why would he be coming after me? Why wouldn't he have just taken me out at the police headquarters? Um, he explains that he had this cassette tape, and the name Gordon was on it, and it was a custom label, so the person is clearly coming after Gordon. We then see Gordon grab a what appears to be either a picture or a newspaper clipping, with Gordon standing over Barbara as she's hospitalized, and Joker being carted away from the... Uh, amusement park that we saw back in the Killing Joke, and as he touches this, he suddenly begins to bleed profusely all over the place. Um, we then see him in, um, in a hospital, and Batman explains that he gave him a coagulant to stop him from bleeding out, um, because the Joker basically gave him a thinner, um, a derivative of heparin. Um, he is talking with Nightwing on a rooftop, where he explains that Alfred is uh, been taken by the Joker after Nightwing says, what do you mean Alfred's been taken? How come you haven't told anybody? And he says, because I don't want anybody to get too emotional about this as the Joker comes after them. I want everybody to be on their toes, and by telling them that he's making this personal, it's they could let their emotions get the better of them and could make a mistake. 
Um, after Nightwing goes back and forth with Batman about whether or not this is this stuff is important, and uh, basically Batman states that uh, he believes that the reason why Joker took Alfred was because of Bruce Wayne's connection to Batman Incorporated. Um, and Nightwing questions whether or not that's actually it, or if there's something else that Batman's not telling him. Batman then explains that he's off to the uh, reservoir because he's convinced that the Joker is reenacting some of his original um, his original plans that he's done in the past with the original fights that he's had with Batman. So he tells Dick to go to the aqueduct in case the Joker is about to poison the reservoir. So as Batman speeds towards the uh, reservoir, he comes across Joker standing alone on a bridge, and Joker starts to explain to him, that um, he knows exactly what's going to happen, and he's nice. It's nice to see Batman. He starts to explain his basic, his basically his theory behind um, what he's doing. He explains that he is the court jester of Batman's court. Batman's the king, and unfortunately, all of these people that Batman have put in his life are just distracting him from the important thing. So he says. Um, in order to, to, to get, let's just, let's just get to business and uh, let's just talk about this to the point. So he then pushes a button, blows the aqueduct, explains that he knows exactly how this would have all played out. And ultimately the water would have only been poisoned to a specific set of people. So in order to, for Batman to pay more attention to the Joker, he's kind of ran through the plans, realized that uh, Batman would have sent Nightwing to stop uh, to, to, to blow the aqueduct so that the poison would not reach the, uh, the water supply of Gotham, but it would not reach all of them, so there would be a small set of people living in some high-end condominiums who would have been killed, and Joker explains, well, see, we already got to that, so <laughs> Batman looks down, and in the water is a bunch of dead bodies of the people who live, who supposedly, we would assume, lived in the condominium. As Batman, um, walks towards Joker saying, you sick maniac, Joker explains that he came to talk. All of a sudden, he pushes the button on the remote, and we see a number of uh, the chattering teeth jumping up over the, out of the water with uh, cables attached to them, basically tying Batman down to the sides of the bridge. Joker then explains the court jester bit and explains that he knows that the allies are listening, and he's coming after all of them and he knows exactly who they are and he's coming after every single one of them he says he knows their secret identities their names their addresses and he even says i even know what soap you use and why you always smell so good nightwing <laughs> so he even cracks a joke in the midst of all of this um so as he explains this he says that um he, he explains the reason why he's doing this is because Batman is has been drawn down from what he was because of all these allies. Um, he explains the reason why he went after Gordon was because Gordon, you think, is a friend, but he's a, he's a bleeder. He bleeds for everyone, the city, his men, his daughter, uh, but he's a phony. So uh, basically from there, Joker explains that he knows exactly where the cave is. He knows... Um, he has this book that he has all the information that he possibly needs. Joker says, you're lying. But then we see the end with uh, the five heads of the main bat allies, Nightwing, Tim Drake, Batgirl, Red Hood, and Robin. And it says, 
Next, the Joker makes things personal. So then we get to the backup, which was written by Scott Snyder and James Tinian, art by Jacques, and the story is titled Men of Worship, starring the Joker and the Penguin. Yeah. Penguin is meeting at a church um, because of a meeting that he was told to get to, but as he walks inside of the church, he sees a number of people who are tied up with the appearance that they're praying, um, but they're all murdered. And uh, we see a umbrella with a knife cut one of the penguin's bodyguards across the neck with his with the knife, and then the, another blade shoot out of the umbrella into the head of another one of penguin's bodyguards. We then find out that the person wielding the killer umbrella is none other than the Joker. The Joker has a plan for Oswald Cobblepot. He explains that he has eliminated all of the lieutenants of the organized crime in Gotham so that Oswald Cobblepot can take over, because that's what he wants. He wants Ozzy to lead all of the organized crime. And Joker then explains that Oswald is more of the bishop to Batman's um, army. And uh, Penguin replies, well, if I'm the bishop, what does that make you, the Antichrist? And uh, Joker basically responds, no, no, I just want you to know that all of these people inside of here have been killed with your weapons, and they'll all come back to you, so you can either side with me or not. And Penguin basically says, well, um, what, what's my choice if I refuse? And Joker says, man, the torpedoes, man, we're going to war. And the Penguin replies, all right, Joker, I'm listening. And that is the end of the backup. Alright, so Batman number 14, lots of things happen, but the first thing I want to talk about is the, probably the biggest thing to talk about is the um, possibility of the Joker actually knowing the identities of the Bat family. I don't know what he's referring to with this book. I I mean, maybe that's a tie to something in the past that, that's a possibility, but I, I don't know what he's referring to when he references this book the small little book that he holds out in his hand that he says has all of the secret identities and the location of the Batcave and all that. I don't know where that's from. So if that's that's an actual thing that's uh, popped up in the past, Scott Snyder has dug deeper than I'm than, than my history extends. But uh, what do you think the possibilities of the Joker actually knowing all of the identities of the Bat Allies are? And do you think, if it's a possibility, do you think that uh, the Joker is just bluffing to really just get into the mind of all of the Bat family. I, uh, you know, this, I, I recently watched the Batman Brave and the Bold episode, Nights of Tomorrow, and the only thing I'm going to say is that um, when Dick is Nightwing, I'm sorry, when Dick is Batman and then old Joker comes and he says, you know, I know that's you, Nightwing. Oh, was I not supposed to say anything? And I think even even when, you know, you had brought up in, in your, your, your plotting there that, you know, he knows what type of soap and everything that he uses. And now that could be, you know, hyperbole. But, you know, Joker, I think, is more intelligent than many people, you know, think that he is just because, like, his insanity sort of masks it all. And, and you know, just listening to, to sort of the whole issue go by again, I feel like there is a, a, a distinct possibility that he does know their identities. And he is sort of... Um, I don't think he would ever release it because I think he would enjoy knowing that secret and being the only person to know that. But I think that he does. I think that there is a possibility that he does know it. I think that 
The idea of Joker knowing Batman's identity has been around for a while, and I think that uh, the possibilities could go several ways. They could end up being like they were in Return of the Joker, which if you've watched that movie, especially uncut, it's very bad. <laughs> they could be the possible. They could uh, he could basically do nothing because like you know people think that he already knows who Batman is, but doesn't care. Which again, I think that's an idea, but that's sort of like you know okay, if he doesn't care who Batman is, then where's the threat? You know, he's unpredictable. What's he going to do with that knowledge? Um, I remember in Hush when uh, Riddler figured out who Batman was and Batman says, yeah, I don't care because you, you'll keep the knowledge for yourself because, you know, anything, right. any knowledge worth worth having is, isn't worth sharing or whatever. And Riddler stopped it and doesn't do anything about it. I think that the Joker, I think in this story from what, what, we're, what we've read so far, the Joker has not given any solid information that he does know, but the threat is still there. And I think that if he does know, Honestly, because of his plan and saying, you know, all these psychics drag you down, old man, you really suck now because these psychics make you lame. <laughs> like half of the Bat fans think. I think that he would, honestly, I think he would just kill him. I think that the Joker is lethal enough where I think any of the members of the Bat family from Tim to Barbara to Damien to Dick could defeat the Joker on their own. But I think the Joker is lethal enough that he could get away with killing them if he truly wanted to. And I mean, look who did to Gordon, look who's done to, to Alfred. Um, so I think that he doesn't know based on what we know, but I think that it's still, the jury's still out there. And if he does know, honestly, if he does know, I think that there's going to be really big ramifications for this story. And honestly, this is a situation where I would not be surprised if not everybody gets out alive. I think that... I don't even know. I mean, there's potential. I think what Scott Snyder is doing, I think he's being very clever and he's just teasing the idea that it could be... And there's also there's also lots of red herrings and there's lots of ways that it could not be true and there's bluffing and some things seem so over the top like Joker sleeping underneath Gordon's mattress at night that would make you think, okay, he's bluffing. I don't think it really matters whether we know or not, at least not at the moment. If it gets revealed, that's that's great. I might feel like we need to know or don't need to know more as the series go on, but definitely for the moment I'm enjoying the the questions that are raising up and just uh I'm wondering what Joker's gonna do with that information if he has it or if he's just bluffing just to get in Batman's head. Okay, so then the other thing I want to talk about is kind of in the back it kind of refers to the backup where we see um we we heard this was going to happen where Joker is a, is approaching some of these other villains um, we didn't know how, but we just knew that some of these other villains were going to be popping up in some of these other, in some of the backups. So the question is, clearly, Joker is not only going after the Bat Family, but he's also preparing for some sort of war. And he's recruiting other villains from the Batman universe to side with him, or basically force them to side with him. And I guess my, the, the question I want to pose is, do you think that all of these villains, regardless of whether or not they would get along with the Joker on a day-to-day basis, do you really think that ultimately the Joker can really trust these other villains to help him take out take out Batman? You know, I I don't know if I like the idea that the Joker is gathering up all the Batman villains for a war against Batman because that sounds really novel on one end, but on the other end, the Joker's always been a very he's been very selfish for Batman. I can see the Penguin doing that, but I think that the Joker is somebody who thinks he sees Batman as, you know, 
sort of like his alone. He doesn't want to share Batman with anybody. I think that like if he's if he's going about this idea, he would sooner kill them without them knowing about it than really grant them any sort of like uh like he says, Oh, penguin, you'll head up all the mobs in Gotham. He's gonna kill the penguin. And I hope he does kill the penguin. But I I mean I think the Joker doesn't care about these villains. He doesn't I don't think he cares about anybody else except for Batman and his own pleasure. And um I think if you if if regardless of whether he can trust them or not, because I don't think the Joker trusts anybody but himself either. I think that like this is sort of a, a deeper part of his plan. If the villains plan like double cross them, that might be fun to 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 see. But I think that I would imagine the Joker would anticipate their double crossery. And I know that's not a word, but uh I would imagine that if the villains want to try to use this opportunity to kill the Joker as opposed to killing Batman, uh good luck to them. Yeah, I think it's highly unlikely that the other villains would want to work with Joker, I think, I mean, it's difficult to say because so far we haven't really seen many of the, well, I guess we have, but definitely not enough of the major rogues to kind of work out how they are in the New 52. They might be very collaborative and they might think, oh yeah, if we all work together, we can take down Batman. But we don't know if that's their goal yet or if they'd be willing to do that or, you know, what the relationship is between different characters because you know i put up before like in nightfall and stuff joker and scarecrow they work together and sure for a bit they made a good team and then they they fall out and they can't work together so and a lot of people i think a lot of the other villains are scared of joker because they realize how i mean he's intimidating and i think they realize how scary he is and what he can do and because he's so unpredictable they realize that they can't really work with him so I think the only reason, I mean, the only reason that Penguin is even listening to Joker is because he's being blackmailed into it. So, it's going to be interesting to see how he gets the rest of the villains if he does. Yeah, I think it would be too similar to Nightfall, really. Um, or, or going back to Hush. And I mean, Bane didn't really contract the, the different people, but it just so happened that, um, you know, just certain circumstances, allowed a bunch of villains to get out and they just slowly broke down Batman and then he sort of took um the the coup d'etat and and then with with Hush I guess that was more closely connected because each of those villains had something that they wanted um and that uh well presumably Tommy Elliot could provide them and then of course Riddler at the top there so it it seems like it'd be too too similar to those sorts of things. And really, if, if this whole, the whole point of this particular storyline is for Joker to remind Batman, um, you know, that he is there and that he is closely connected to him and, and is sort of the, the gesture to his knight, then he's going to be that person. I think he's already got his hands in there very directly already and he's only been using Harley. Um, a little bit, and now Penguin, but I don't think he's gonna resort to anybody else, which is, that's normally his MO to sort of get people to do stuff, and then he would come in at the last second, but I think now it's very personal for him, so he's gonna come in and he's gonna do everything, and, and we've seen him already do that with this particular issue. Alright, so, um, Batman number 14, I think was a, was a great issue. I'm going to give it a total of four and a half out of five batterings. I'm shocked, Nepal. What's wrong with you? This issue was perfect. Five out of five batterings. I agree. Five out of five batterings. I thought it was the best issue from this particular batch of issues. 
uh, well done. Even the backup, I thought, was pretty solid. I give it 4.5 out of 5. All right, so Batman number 14 gets a total of 4.5 out of 5 bed rings. That is all of our books. Let's throw over to John with Bat Books for Beginners. And welcome to another episode of Back Books for Beginners. I'm your host, John. And this week, we are reviewing Birds of Prey, Black Canary, Batgirl. This was written by Chuck Dixon and features art by Greg Land, who can be currently found on Uncanny X-Men and X-Men Legacy. And he's also done the covers for Marvel Zombies 3, as well as the art for Nightwing. It was released as a one-shot in February 1998, and it reached 81 in the pre-orders chart, according to ComicCrum.com. And it can be found very cheaply on Amazon and eBay. Hopefully this will be a lot better than Black Canary Huntress Manhunter. So let's delve into Birds of Prey, Black Canary, Batgum. Legend tells of a caped crusader, Batman, guardian of New Gotham, and his one true love, Catwoman, the queen of the criminal underworld. Their passion left behind something extraordinary. A daughter, Huntress, half metahuman, she has taken up her father's mantle and fights to protect the innocent and helpless. Joining her in this struggle, Oracle, once Batman's protege, Batgirl. She was caught in the crossfire of the war between Batman and Joker. Now she fights crime a different way. A master of the cyber realms and trainer to heroes. Together they have taken in Dinah, a metahuman herself, with powers that she is only beginning to explore. These three are the protectors of New Gotham, the birds of prey. My name is Alfred Pennyworth, and this is their story. We open with Black Canary being surrounded by armed gangsters all wearing hats. Batgirl arrives, and together they take them out easily. They discover that the gunmen were being controlled by the Mad Hatter, hence the hats. Diana asks a lot of questions about Batgirl, and also Batman as well, to the point of the annoyance for Batgirl, even going so far as to insist on following her around. They break into the building where Jeff's tech is holed up, and Hatter has control of Jeremiah Arkham, and he plans to release all of the inmates. Black Canary lists off all the people who will escape, and at the mention of the Joker, Babs has a flashback to the killing joke. The ladies are discovered and a fight breaks out with Batgirl and Black Canary easily triumphing. Using the Bat Bike and a convenient sidecar, they dash for Arkham Asylum to get there before Jervis. However, they are too late and the inmates attack Batgirl. 
She is captured and the villains try to decide what to do with her. But the Joker says that he will deal with her instead. However, before he can do anything, the villains leave to find Black Canary, promising to return soon. Diana returns and pushes for Batgirl to send her for Batman and to tell her where he is. But before she says anything, the world around Batgirl shatters and it turns out that it is in fact Spellbinder who has created an imaginary world to try and learn Batman's secret. It turns out that she was paid to take Oracle by a mystery man who wants her kidnapped. A car arrives and they head out to find Batman's secret hideout, but Oracle uses the time to bait free. When Spellbinder returns angry that Oracle naturally lied to her and sent her on a wild goose chase, Bab takes her out. The issue ends with Barbara Gordon in the clock tower asking Black Canary to return as soon as possible. We see the armed guards return and we discover it is in fact Blockbuster who wants her dead. Whoops. Oh, big whoops. Any ideas? Just one. Hit it. So, uh, I thought this was enjoyable in places. There are some very, very good bits. I liked the effects of the killing joke, that when she mentions the Joker, we're having these disturbing flashbacks. It's not something that you would get over quickly. And obviously there are going to be lingering bits of trauma that are going to be brought up. I don't believe that Barbara Gordon has encountered the Joker since the killing joke. And I think it would be interesting to explore how that's going to affect her and how she would deal with it. I think that could be a very interesting storyline. It was also interesting to see that being Batgirl was the most important thing in her life. Spellbinder clearly creates this world where it's fulfilling, like Jervis Tech does, it's fulfilling that person's dreams and fantasies. And it's interesting that she would naturally want to revert back to being Batgirl, especially considering that it was quite a large section of her life and obviously one that she clearly enjoys and one that she misses as well i thought the art was very good as well it was very clear and very easy to follow and it was very rare that any of the perspectives were off there were a couple of bits and pieces that i spotted but overall it didn't really mar my enjoyment of it at all and i thought it was very very excellent it was also well done in drawing all the villains. Sometimes it can be very difficult to draw a lot of them. And sometimes when people try and bite off more than they can chew, then they tend to suffer and we see terrible artwork, characters that we're not quite sure who they're meant to be. But this was something that really didn't suffer from that problem. I know exactly who they were all meant to be. And they all had that very classic feel about them. Only slight thing I had was Zars, who appeared to be blonde, which I thought was a bit weird, but, you know, it's just a small issue, really, and I can't take too much umbrage over that. The problems that I did have with it mainly come from Spellbinder. She seems to be the big plot hole. There's a lot of questions arising from her action. Why doesn't she link Batgirl and Barbara Gordon? Although she kind of goes, oh, well, you're crippled. That's a crazy dream. Surely 
she'd know about Barbara Gordon being shot. And if she's thinking about being Batgirl and she's having these flashbacks, it makes you wonder why she's having them. And Spellbinder just doesn't seem to put it together. Now, it could be that she's a traditional idiot, but I kind of struggle to see that when she's created this world. She's obviously going to know how to fulfill people's fantasies and stimulate things and what people will automatically jump to. She knows that Babs is Oracle as well. She's been told that she's Oracle and Blockbuster clearly knows that it's her that's helping to to run the Bat family. So why she doesn't quite make that link as well also doesn't really make sense in my problem. The thing that I found most frustrating is I really don't understand why Blockbuster wants Oracle dead. It doesn't really make any sense. I don't think they've ever encountered each other. I could be wrong. We'll be reviewing Nightwing Renegade in a few weeks' time, so maybe it will be explained then. But I still didn't really understand why Blockbuster was going after her and not focusing on Nightwing. But like I said, maybe this will be explained later. And I'll have an, oh, oh, I knew that kind of moment. However, if it doesn't, I'm still left really wondering what on earth is going on. But those are really the only major plot holes that I tended to find. I don't think it's a terrible issue. This is Chuck Dixon doing his usual. Sometimes he tends to phone in the issues. And I do occasionally think that he bites off way too much and he does suffer for that i would probably reluctantly lump this into into that camp but as i said i don't think it's a particularly terrible issue either so i'm going to give it three out of five batarangs so that's my review of birds of prey black canary and batgirl it's not one really that I would pick up necessarily out of choice, but considering it's about £3 on eBay, I think it's something I could probably invest in. Well, thank you very much for listening once again, and now I'm going to hand you back over to Dustin and the guys. <laughs> So that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you are picking up the next set of books for the next episode. And be sure to check out the Bat Books for Beginners feed on the website for all the older episodes that you may not have heard uh, in the past without having to listen through all of the old comic cast episodes. So with that, I I just want to open up. uh, It's not really... This is something that I want to talk about briefly. We've we've cut some books recently. We've cut Red Hood and the Outlaws. We cut... um, Birds of Prey, I, as I mentioned earlier, we cut Batwing from this episode, but the, 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 the reason why we've been cutting these issues is, one, because there's so many books that come out, and these podcasts are anywhere between two and three hours long sometimes, depending on the number of books, so we're trying to figure out a way to cut down the size without having to stop talking or, you know, cut our remarks about specific books off. So I want to open this up to fans to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net or to leave us a comment in the comment section talking about whether or not you think it's a good idea. I mean, the, the thing is, the reason why we're cutting Batwing is 
Batwing doesn't tie into what's happening in Batman Incorporated. Yes, it's a character, but it's almost the same thing as Talon. Talon's just a character that has derived from an event that has happened in the Batman books, but at the same time, it has little to nothing to do with Batman. It's almost the same thing as if we were getting, if we were going to review Justice League, where Batman is a character that is in Justice League, but is not about Batman. So that's, that's the way I'm starting to feel about Batwing as well, but at the same point, that would also entail books like Batwoman, which never really crosses over with any of the events that are happening within the Batman universe. So I want to hear your thoughts on which books you feel are the most important books to cover. And based off of your guys' emails and comments, we might actually bring some books back. Um, I doubt that we would bring back all of the books that we've cut, but I was thinking on the lines of Batman Beyond Unlimited might be a book that we can we would consider bringing back if we were to get rid of, let's say, Talon or Batwing and things like that, we would have space for, let's say, Batman Beyond Unlimited. So leave your comments and send us an email and let us know what you think. All right, so as far as what we'll be covering next time on the podcast, we'll be covering um, Suicide Squad number 14, which we should have actually covered in this episode, but uh, it was a little late to the punch and we didn't end up covering it. But we'll be covering Suicide Squad number 14 because it does... Uh, fall in line with Death of the Family and it ties in, specifically deals with Harley Quinn's um, aspect within Death of the Family, so we'll be covering that. In addition to that, we'll also be covering Batwoman number 14, Catwoman number 14, Nightwing number 14, Batman Incorporated number 5, and Batman the Dark Knight number 14, So, as well as Talon number 2. So we'll be covering Talon on the next episode as well, unless, of course, we hear some thoughts about what we should or should not be covering, and then we might, you know, change that up just a little bit on the next episode. But uh, hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving, as uh, this episode should be posting the day after Thanksgiving, so we hope that you had a great Thanksgiving, and we'll just wish you an early happy holidays, even though there are multiple episodes before the holidays actually roll upon us. But uh, we, we hope that uh, by cutting some of these books, we are actually able to get some of these episodes out more on time because of the length of them because the post-production of these episodes takes a much longer time depending on how many books we're actually covering so hopefully we can get back more on time with that um but that's pretty much everything for this episode so of course you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net you can follow us on facebook twitter and youtube for all the latest news and videos from the batman universe you can leave comments on the comment section on the website you can check out the website for all the news related to movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news, as well as, obviously, the comics. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And, of course, you can check out all of our other podcasts that we offer on the website, um, as well as check out Back the Oracle. So, that's everything. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. This is Jai. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye!
Hey there, paisanos! Welcome to the Super Batman Universe Comic Cast Variety Hour. How does how do I sound, everybody? Bloody loud. Yeah. Bloody loud. Okay. Better than nothing. My microphone's like kind of like it, the wire's still connected, but it's kind of broken, so I have to hold it for like the entire show. There's this thing called um, sticky tape. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, what do you mean, like, like tacky, like, like little gooey stuff that you put on walls? Cellar tape, tape, duct tape. I mean, tape there's, yeah. there's myriad, there's myriad forms of tape. There are. And uh, you might be able to implement those in the fixing of the wire. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Someone's got jokes. Have a nice day.